Um, it's undeniable uh, as far as when life happens and what is inside uh, the, the, the tummy of a, of a pregnant woman. Uh, it is a life, it is a baby. And you know what? I think those who are pro-choice, uh, whether they're activists or those just um, finding themselves in that situation, I think at this point, most if not everybody understands that this is uh, a life, um, not just a clump of cells, even though there are those who are pretty extreme and they still would put it that way. But I just want to open here with an example of uh, just a a glimpse, a snapshot of the um, immorality and the insanity, I'll call it, um, that we face in our world today on this issue. And this is not to to raise our level of anger or ire or disgust at at people, um, but rather for our understanding of where some people are coming from um, who are pro-choice. Like this uh, woman named Mary Elizabeth Williams, a radically pro-choice woman, she wrote an article, and this was over 10 years ago, January 2013. um, And the article that she wrote is entitled, so what if abortion ends life? And just even the, the title of the article is, is awful. But she writes, quote, I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. Hey, did you hear that? She recognizes that she was carrying a human person inside of her, and she's still 100% pro-choice. Continues, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet, A fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always, period, end quote. So that is disturbing, but that does give us a a picture, some understanding of where some, many, most pro-choice people are at and how they're thinking. So today's sermon title uh, is The Christian's Conviction About the Sanctity of Human Life. And I want to offer you just a few reasons why Christians care so deeply about the protection of all infants. Okay, why Christians care or why Christians should care about the protection of all infants. And we can number and list and go over uh, any, you know, just a lot of reasons, but I'm just going to give you three today. And the first is this. All babies are created by and precious to God. 
Okay, all babies are created by and precious to God. And look, if, if infants are precious to God, uh, they should be precious to us as Christians. Christians care about what God cares about. So God created all babies, and they're all precious to him. And so we care. And by all babies, I mean born and unborn. Inside the womb and outside the womb. And of course, I mean babies of all ethnicities, colors, tribes, races, if you want to call it that. Right? Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. All babies are created by God, precious to him as those made in his image. Genesis 1.27 Human beings are unique in God's creation. His crowning work, which he blessed, and after he did it, he declared that everything was not just good, but what? Very good. Genesis 1.31, just a few verses later. Consider this, as John Piper has stated, quote, Only human beings come into being day after day, created in, in the image of God, and live forever. In heaven with God, or in hell. There is no compelling evidence in the Bible or anywhere else that any animals come into being with souls or that they live after they die. There is no compelling evidence in the Bible or anywhere else that angels are being created today. The only being in all the universe who keeps on originating and then living forever in the image of God is man. End quote. Second Samuel 12 King David, when his baby boy died, he could stop fasting and mourning because he knew that he would be reunited with that baby when he died. David had the hope that upon his own death, he would go to be with him, as he put it in 2 Samuel 12. He, David, king, father of this dead infant, would go to be with him. Our scripture reading this morning was Psalm 139 that Philip read for us today and also written by David. And he says in uh, verse 13 of Psalm 139, For you formed, God, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Okay, in the depths of the earth, that's figure of speech um, in the womb. Okay, precious and sacred is the unborn baby, according to God's word in Psalm 139. In the mother's womb where God awesomely, marvelously, intricately, skillfully doing his work of creation. David knew this to the bottom of his being, and he wrote long before there were ultrasounds and, and pictures and technology. He wrote all of that way back when. Who now cannot tremble and revere God for his wonderful works, as David writes? Showed the video we saw a few moments ago. And uh, I forgot, I was going to pause it at six weeks and eight weeks particularly. 
um, because the, the statistics that are out there, just well known to everybody, um, they're not Christian statistics, they're just um, secular statistics. About 55% of abortions in 2021, okay, which is roughly half a million, 500,000, uh, they happened after seven weeks. So I wanted to pause the video just so you could see the, the picture of that. It's awful whenever, whenever it happens. But at six weeks, uh, the baby has eyes and legs and hands. Uh, the brain waves are working. They have a mouth and even lips, uh, fingernails. Week seven, eyelids form. Uh, toes, as we saw on the picture, a distinct nose. Uh, the baby kicks and swims. By week eight, every organ is in place. Um, their bones are forming. Fingerprints are there. They're able to hear. Weeks nine and ten, the teeth begin to form and the baby can turn its head. The baby can frown, even hiccup. And so just thought we could go over the rest. But Psalm 139, that, that beautiful language of praise, speaks of the careful manner in which God creates and forms babies from conception. Okay, each one is precious to God who takes such care and precision in weaving the tiny, tiny, tiny little parts of his tiny creations together until the time comes for that baby to enter into the world. How about Psalm 127? Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. It says in that wonderful psalm, Behold, okay, look, okay, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. A reward that is to be prized. Okay, not a blight, not a burden. This encompasses unborn and born babies. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 127. And the contrast to the blessing of pregnancy in the Bible is the curse for barrenness. Okay, not being able to conceive was considered a curse from God in the Bible. It's life versus no life. So there is great rejoicing as we see with Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah when they become with child. As Psalm 113 says, Who is like the Lord our God, who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap? He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Okay, what joy when God gives the prize of the fruit of the womb. Job 31, if uh, you recall those in-between chapters of Job, in chapter 31 he was arguing about how he treated his slaves, his servants, fairly when they raised complaints up to him. In verse 15, Job's reasoning on why he granted such fair treatment to these lowly slaves, or what society considered lowly slaves, he writes in verse 15, Did not God who made me in the womb make him the slave, and the same one fashion us in the womb? Okay, that's his reason for treating his 
slaves with justice and equity. God made us both. In the womb, he says. God fashioned and made us both in the womb. Then he adds in verses 16 and 17. No, sorry, this is Job chapter 3, 16 and 17. He says, like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be as infants that never saw light. There the wicked cease from raging, and there the weary are at rest. What's implied there is that infants who die before they're born, they have souls, and that those souls are like the weary who are at rest. Implication, they go to heaven when they are miscarried and die. As such, they are precious to God, even though they never saw the light of even a single day outside of the womb. By the way, obviously, uh, the fact that babies go to heaven when they die does not make abortion okay. It does not justify the murder of the unborn. And just like it's not okay for people to murder a grown-up Christian just because we know that we're going to heaven when we die. And that is neither moral nor rational. And so Exodus 21, I'm not going to go there um, You don't have to turn there, but Exodus 21, verses 22 to 23, speaking of life, uh, God's instructions to Israel were that if a pregnant woman and the baby inside of her is injured somehow while men are fighting, the penalty for the man who's responsible um, is that he 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 must pay a penalty that fits the crime. So if the pregnant woman's baby inside of her gets injured or dies, it says that the punishment must fit the crime. In other words, the man must pay with his own life. And so God considers all babies inside and outside the womb precious. So he gives Israel laws to protect them. And so we as Christians, we care about what God cares about. And even in our secular world, okay, in the United States of America, 38 States in our country, a similar law highlights this understanding that a baby inside the mother's womb is a separate person from the mother. If someone causes a miscarriage for the mom, that unborn child is recognized as a crime victim. It's called fetal homicide, fetal homicide. In other words, the murder of an unborn child. And another thing to consider And most of us know that there's a a thing called fetal surgery, F-E-T-A-L, surgery. This is surgical care and treatment for a baby in the womb. Doctors specialize in this type of surgery, which treats the unborn as as a patient, separate from the mom. Dr. Steve Calvin, who is one of these specialists, he wrote a letter to the Arizona Daily Star newspaper years ago. Quote, There is inescapable schizophrenia in aborting a perfectly normal 22-week fetus while at the same hospital performing intrauterine surgery on its cousin, end quote. In other words, uh, when the unborn are wanted, they are treated like children and patients. But when the unborn are not wanted, they are all of a sudden not children and not patients. They can be killed and discarded. Over and over we hear from 
pro-choice women and activists. Uh, I can do whatever I want with my body. It's my body, my choice. How many times have we heard that? Hey, first off, that's, that's not even true. Hey, you can't do just whatever you want with your body. Hey, try going to a, a Dodgers game and running out onto the field stark naked. Hey, see how far you get. Um, you don't get to do that with your body. But more significantly, the baby inside of you is not your body. It is a separate person with a body of his or her own. And that baby was created by God. Hey, you have no right to do whatever you want to that precious body. No one has the right to take the life of an unborn child, not the state, not an abortionist, not even the mother. To quote Jeff Thomas, he says, Man is created in the image of God. In view of this truth, murder is much more than an act of hostility against man. It is an affront to God. To attack man is to attack God in whose image he was created. End quote. And we as Christians should care deeply about the protection of all infants because God does. Because God does. He created them and considers them precious in and out of the womb. Second reason Christians care so deeply about protecting all infants is that nations that sacrifice their children are judged by God. Nations that sacrifice their children are judged by God. If you're taking notes, you want to take down that reason. And uh, Christians don't want our nation to receive God's judgment, do we? Utter destruction of, of our country. And me saying that is not a Christian nationalist statement, by the way. It's not even a, a patriotic statement, even though I consider myself to be a patriotic guy. Um, it's simply saying that as Christians or any rational, clear-thinking person, uh, we don't eagerly anticipate the Almighty God pouring down His wrath on our country. And by the way, Israel's prophets were not thundering their warnings to Israel because they were looking forward to God destroying the whole land and the people. Okay, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, Joel, Amos, the prophets, all were calling for the people to repent of their sins, alerting of God's anger towards them. And part of their high alarm was for the sin of child sacrifices. God destroys nations that practice this very abominable sin. Psalm 711, which I periodically remind you of, of, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. And he gets angry when, for instance, children are abused and mistreated. He is especially angry when children and the unborn are killed. In the United States alone, it's almost a million per year, okay, which is around 2,700 every day. And no wonder God has indignation, anger, fury, anger every day. China, okay, no one knows exactly, but estimates are at least 3 million per year, which comes out to over 8,000 abortions per day. Consider in Scripture, 
Okay, nations that sacrificed their children were judged by God. Right? What happened to the nations who were living in Canaan, the promised land? Okay, they were banished from the land. They were destroyed because of child sacrifice. Okay, yes, yes, their sinful ways and practices were more than child sacrifice. It included more than that. But that is one of the four horrific practices that are listed out in Scripture um, for us. In Leviticus chapter 18, if you want to look there with me. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 19 through 29. I'm just going to read verses 19 to 23. Leviticus 18, starting in verse 19. This is God's word to Israel. He says, also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness during her menstrual impurity. Verse 20, you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her. 21, you shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Verse 23, also you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Okay, so verses 19 and 20, uh, sexual immorality. Verse 22, homosexuality. Verse 23, bestiality. And going back to verse 21, sacrificing children. Okay, four things listed there. And then verse 24 and 25, God says to Israel, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these things, these gross sins, the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled. Therefore, I have brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. It has vomited out its inhabitants. God says that the people of Canaan were being kicked out of the land for polluting it with these awful ways. By the way, our nation has already made three out of those four things legal and normalized it, making them acceptable. Right? The first one, sexual immorality, whether it's adultery, fornication, sex outside of marriage, um, pornography. All of it is widespread and it's accepted. If you love them, you can do it. Homosexuality, bisexuality, a so-called same-sex marriage, which should be called same-sex mirage okay, because it's not real. The definition of marriage is between one woman and one man is one flesh. And abortion, which amounts to child sacrifice. Okay, all of this legalized, normalized, considered acceptable in our country. And it's becoming ever more real as far as abortion goes as states push back on the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Particular states continue fighting for legal abortion through all nine months and even after birth. Okay, speaking of literal out of the womb child sacrifice, infanticide, if the mother so chooses, is considered okay, right, legal, lawful. Israel was warned specifically against sacrificing their children. And when I say Israel here, I mean the north, 
okay, the ten tribes up north, directly, explicitly, God warned them not to follow the example of the wicked nations who lived in the promised land before them, as we just saw in Leviticus 18, but it's restated in Deuteronomy 12, right? Re, re-law, second law, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 12, verse 31, God tells them again, You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God, for every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, Lord G, lowercase g, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Uh, lest Israel doesn't get it, six chapters later, Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 12, I won't read it, but God restates the same warning again. He tells them he is driving these pagans out of the land because of these abominations, including specifically child sacrifice. But Israel, obviously, did not heed God's word and God's warnings, and they suffered for it. You want to look at Psalm 106? Psalm 106, starting in verse 34, it says of Israel, they did not destroy the peoples, okay, the heathen Canaanites who were living in the land, as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations, they learned their practices, and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. That's what the false gods who the Canaanites were worshipping are. They're, they're demons. And they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Verse 39, Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot, prostitute, in their deeds. Verse 40, therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people and he abhorred his inheritance. Abhorred means hated. He hated his inheritance. The result was that God sent nations to attack Israel and oppress them many times. And we could go through a number of examples here, but uh, 2 Chronicles 28, verse Three, it explains that King Ahaz did even worse than the kings before him. And it says there that he made offerings in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. Um, Second Kings, verse uh, chapter 17. Second Kings, chapter 17. It explains the reasons why Israel, the ten northern tribes, were taken into captivity by Assyria, the pagan nation. It says that the Lord repeatedly sent prophets and seers to warn Israel to, quote, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments. They were doing what what the heathen nations were doing, sacrificing their children, and yet God gave them mercy, and it he repeatedly sent prophets to warn them and turn them back, but Israel willfully abandoned God's commands. They built those two golden calves, as well as the idols of Asherah and Baal, to worship them. And so this culminated in verse 17 of Second Kings 17. It says, Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire, and along with that, practicing divination, the occult, and um, fortune-telling 
soothsaying. It was, it's called in the Bible. And the next verse, 18, says, This provoked the Lord to anger, and so he removed Israel from his sight, and none was left except the tribe of Judah. And did, did Judah do any better? Did the two tribes left in the south do any better? Of course not. They didn't heed God's warning either. And they also suffered. Second Chronicles 33, Second Chronicles 33, verses 2 through 6. Manasseh, our favorite king, right? No, he was, he was one of the worst. Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord, it says there, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Which involved, guess what? Right? Idol worship. Building altars for offerings to Baal and Asherim in the house of the Lord, of which God said, my name shall be in Jerusalem forever. In that very house is where they were building altars so they could make these sacrifices. And God was again moved to fury. Verse 6, Manasseh made his sons pass through the, vi- through the fire. And he practiced witchcraft. He used divination. He practiced sorcery and dealt with mediums and spirits. This is demon worship. Contact with the spirits, okay, evil spirits, demons, which is what Jeremiah was crying out against, the, the weeping prophet Jeremiah. He cries out against the sin in chapter 15, all to no avail. Okay, his warnings fell on deaf ears. And a little over a hundred years later, Judah in the south is taken over and destroyed by Babylon, right? 722 B.C. by Assyria in the north, 586 B.C. by Babylon in the south. The point is whether it's through Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or any of the other prophets, I could have given you a whole bunch of scripture, God told his people that he would judge them. And he sent other nations against them for such evil. He saw it as so wicked that he calls it unimaginable to him. Hey, sacrificing your sons and daughters. It did not enter my mind, God says. It was that wicked. So he judges the nations in Canaan for this stuff. And he kicks them out and Israel goes in. And then he judges Israel through the nations for the very same thing. One can make the argument that this has been a, a pattern throughout history. Hey, whether it's Rome or just you trace world history, when things get so evil in a nation or a civilization that the people are killing their own children for the sake of idols, and for us the idol is convenience, hey, it's career, it's my freedom, hey, God pours down his wrath and destruction on that nation. Let me quote Mary Elizabeth Williams again, which uh, the same pro-life woman which I shared from the beginning to illustrate this evil. She writes, quote, in an op-ed on why I'm pro-choice article in the Michigan Daily, uh, she's quoting another woman here uh, named Emma Maneri. She, uh, she stated quite perfectly, according to Mary Elizabeth Williams, that, quote, some argue that abortion takes lives but I know that abortion saves lives, too. So uh, with that statement, Mary Elizabeth Williams says she understands that it saves abortion saves lives, not just in the most 
medically literal way, but in the roads that women who have choice then get to go down, in the possibilities for them and for their families. And I would put the life of a mother over the life of a fetus every single time, even if I still need to acknowledge my conviction that the fetus is indeed a life. And she says, this is a life worth sacrificing, end quote. Okay, chilling words, but that's where our nation is and has been and where it's headed. Um, and when it says, uh, I would put the life of a mother over the life of the baby, when pro-choice activists say the life of the mother, they're not talking about just her physical life, because that happens uh, 0.0001 time of the uh, of the cases. Um, when they say the life of the mother, they're talking about the, just her psychological well-being, her financial well-being, her uh, just preference, her her career, her whatever. That's what they mean. It's very broad, their understanding of life. So we as Christians, okay, we understand what's going on, and we don't want our country to go this way, nor do we want our nation to be judged and destroyed by God. Okay, for our sake, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our grandchildren and the following generations, Hey, we're like the prophets of old who love their people. Hey, the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, they loved their nation. They loved people because they loved God. We're like them. We love God. We love our people. We love the country. And we want God to be honored through our care and valuing of the sanctity of human life. Hey, we don't love our country so much that we are idolatrous people. Um, and yet... We are thankful that God gave us this nation to, to live in, and we're thankful for the circumstances that God put us through. So why Christians should care deeply about the protection of infants? Number one, all babies are created by and precious to God. Number two, God judges nations that sacrifice their children. Last point here is this, God calls Christians to have compassion on the defenseless. God calls Christians to have compassion on the defenseless. Over and over and over, the Bible tells us that God has a heart for the most needy, for the most needy. And he actually lists widows, orphans, the poor, and the oppressed. It's super clear in scripture that God has particular concern for those groups of people. And um, I I have a number of verses here and I'll just read a a couple of them to you. But Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 to 24. Again, instructions to Israel. Exodus 22, verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict them at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. A pretty pretty stern warning there. Pretty much care for these people that God has. 
Exodus 23, verses 1 through 11. Leviticus 19, verse 15. Leviticus 23, verse 22. Leviticus 25, verse 35. There's, there's so many. But um, let me read you another one. Psalm 10, verses 16 through 18. Psalm 10, verses 16 through 18. You can jot down uh, Psalm 9, verse 9. But I'll read Psalm 10, verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. And he means for them, specifically for the orphan and the oppressed. Psalm 35, verse 10. Psalm 41, verses 1 to 3. There's so many here. Um, Let me just read you lastly Isaiah. Isaiah 1, verses 16 and 17. Isaiah 1, verse 16 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. This is God speaking. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 12. Ezekiel 22, 23 to 29. I could go on and on. Hey, God hears the cries of the afflicted, the helpless. He comes to their aid in compassion And he's angry when they're mistreated. Why does God have such compassion on these groups of people? The widows, the orphans, the poor, the oppressed. It's because they are the most vulnerable, the most needy, the most desperate, and I'll say the most defenseless. And even more defenseless than any of those groups are the unborn. Babies who are in what should be the, the safest place on planet Earth, right? Inside mommy's tummy. But God calls us to have compassion on these truly helpless, voiceless, defenseless ones, okay? infants in the womb. Compassion like God has for those the world has deemed expendable. Okay? Listen, calling abortion health care is not compassion. Helping women cross state lines to fund their abortions, okay, because some states now are, after Roe was overturned, they're restricting abortions. Um, that's not compassionate. Okay, to call abortion reproductive rights is not compassionate. Okay, to want your daughters to have the same, quote-unquote, reproductive freedoms as men do, and I'm, I'm quoting former President Obama, Uh, which basically means you want your daughters to be able to have the same consequence-free sex as men do, which legal abortion provides for everyone, right? That's not loving or compassionate. As African-American preacher Vodi Balcom, who I love, and others have pleaded, uh, it's surely not wise or helpful or compassionate government policy Uh, to reward black single moms with benefits and finances every time she has a child out of wedlock, okay, and then remove those benefits and money uh, if they marry the father of their children, their child. That's not loving, that's not compassionate, even though it's in the name of compassion. 
It's an article on the National Institute of Health website that was published in May 2022, which is entitled, Abortion is Not Healthcare. And this is a message from the Alliance of Hippocratic Medicine, which is a group of over 30,000 healthcare doctors and uh, professionals, okay? some of which include Christian people. And a very helpful, good um, article. They wrote, quote, Not only is abortion not health care, it is a medical atrocity and a grave legal injustice. Just as slavery and the Dred Scott decision unjustly denied the constitutional right to liberty for individuals based on race, abortion deprives innocent children their right to life based on age alone, and the 1973 Roe decision has no rational basis in law. As physicians and other healthcare professionals, we know that when we care for pregnant women, we are caring for two distinct patients. Our duty is to protect and preserve the lives of the patients whom we care for. Our patients place their trust in us to recommend what is best for them, regardless of current political or cultural trends. Okay, abortion, which is an action whose sole intent is to end life, clearly violates the basic tenets of medical ethics, end quote. And they're referring to the Hippocratic Oath. Okay, it is not compassionate to ignore that promise, that oath that doctors make, which includes the promise to do no harm and to never give a deadly drug, which is exactly what abortion does to the unborn. And further, abortion practice has no true compassion for women. Let me just read a little bit more of what they wrote. Quote, additionally, abortion treats no disease process and carries significant potential harm for women. The evidence is clear that abortions increase the risk of preterm delivery in future pregnancies. They increase a woman's risk of mental health disorders and suicide. And they increase her risk of breast cancer if she has not yet had a full-term pregnancy. These risks and the risks of her dying from abortion-related complications are even higher if the abortion is done in the second trimester and beyond. Our patients deserve better. Despite the politically motivated lie that abortion is essential health care, the fact is that more than 90% of OBGYNs do not perform abortions. And this is because we all recognize what abortion really is. The intentional destruction of human life through barbaric methods. And if you ever saw any of those pictures, you would be completely revulsed. But over the last two years, we have seen the medical community pull together to protect the most vulnerable amongst us. No one is more vulnerable than pre-born children, capable of feeling pain and completely dependent on our protection in order to survive. Lastly, it is time for those of us in the medical profession to boldly defend the lives of all of our patients and demand that their pre-born patients be protected and our pregnant patients be empowered instead of lied to. Women and their children deserve our support, not the destruction of Abortion, end quote. So why should we care, church, so deeply about the protection of all infants? 
Well, God cares. He considers human life to be precious. He created them. Okay, we don't want our nation to be judged and destroyed by God. Okay, his sovereign will is, is what it is, and we want that ultimately. And the last thing is God calls Christians to have compassion on the most defenseless. What does compassion mean? Well, it's defined by action. We're going to close with this. What, what are some actions that we can do, dear church? Well, one is what we're doing today, acknowledging the sanctity of human life and taking time to do this each year and even bothering to, to give a, a particular sermon, one out of a precious 52 shots we get at this every year, okay, to dedicate it to the sanctity of human life. And I want you to obtain your convictions from the Bible, from God's Word, okay, not from your favorite politician or your favorite YouTube personality or any social commentator. Get it from Scripture. Okay, so two things, really quickly, what we can do and should do is, is pray and promote. Okay, pray. Colossians 4, verse 2 is our part of our theme verse. Devote yourselves to prayer, church. Okay, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Pray for our leaders, our lawmakers, 1 Timothy chapter 2, for wise policies and laws, maybe specifically for programs that, that teach about abstinence and sexual purity. Maybe pray for that. Pray for the gospel to go out and change hearts in this country, in this world. That's the only way things are really going to change. And that's part of Colossians verses 3 through 4. For an open door for the word to go out. Pray for pro-choice people. Okay, pro-choice people. They're not our enemies. Okay, even though there are small a apostles of the pro-choice move- movement who are the really angry, militant, angry feminists uh, and, and just uh, activists, right? Those are the apostles, the sent out ones from that movement who are very, very wrathful towards Christians and the church and God and everything. They pray for them. Pray for them. And also pray for the, the refugees of, of the movement. Refugees are, are the ones who are really just, maybe they show up at the, at open arms and they're, they're, they find themselves pregnant and in a, a crisis pregnancy, as they say, or an unexpected pregnancy. And they don't know what to do. They are scared. They, don't, they, they think they're going to get kicked out of their house. They might get kicked out of their house. You know, just to all these things. Pray for them as well, both. So promote. What can we promote? Well, pregnancy clinics like Open Arms, we can financially support them. We can support them with prayer and get involved with activities and events and things that they do, which our church tries to do. Adoption. Consider. Pray. Educate. Be informed. Understand the beauty of Adoption. Understand us as adopted sons and daughters of God spiritually. Beautiful picture of adopting physically someone into your family. Encourage others. Hey, um, promote platforms and policies in the political arena that protect the sanctity of human life. Okay, this is election year 2024. Pray, consider, think about your conscience, think about what God's word says on all the issues. But we want to support platforms and policies that promote human life. And then lastly, the gospel. Okay, proclaim Christ to the Lord. Be an answer to your own prayer that the gospel would go out by proclaiming the gospel yourself to real, live people. Because okay, it changes one soul at a time, right? Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Christ's grace is greater than all of our sin, and we need to bring that good news to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this time once again, and we pray that it is according to your will and your pleasure that we take this time to, to do this every Sunday. Some of it is difficult to hear, God. It just um, it is disturbing to, to know what's happening every single day, but we don't want to be like ostriches with our heads in the sand and just ignore things. And so uh, help us, God, to once again be convicted from your word and to really have compassion on women and babies, uh, all babies, and uh, help us to encourage one another in just uh, our unity uh, in the gospel and our desire and our striving towards wanting to make that good news known so that people's hearts would be changed and they would make decisions in light of the truth. We thank you for our church, family, and everyone who's here today. We pray for um, your honor and glory, God, uh, through the rest of this day. In Christ's name, amen.